0: I'm Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Joseph Berto from
2: White City, Oregon, and you are listening to a special Horse Husbands only edition of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 24th. Brought to you today by the Shake and Fork and the
0: Flex and Fork. The monthly Horse Husbands episode. This one is for you guys. No Horse Women Allowed. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the fourth Thursday of the month. And the fourth Thursday of the month means it's horse husband time. And, of hey. course, you heard in the opener that this show is forbidden for horse women. However, one of the topics we're talking about might be of interest to women. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, two of them. And it's not might. them
2: snoring next to you either. No, <laughs> two
0: of them might. <laughs> tell, tell us about the uh, guest that you have coming up first.
2: Well, on today's show, we have a man who seems to have discovered the Fountain of Youth, And what makes it interesting is that he located it on the back of a horse. He rocks the manly man quotient with skills on so many levels, but has a gentle demeanor that horses just love. To find out more, stay tuned.
0: And coming up right after that then is Kelly Hurd of Kelly Hurd Jewelry. And Kelly Hurd Jewelry is one of the leading jewelry, jewelry manufacturers for the horse world. A good friend of the Horse Radio Network, and he's going to give the horse husband some tips on buying jewelry for your horsey wives this holiday season. And we have a big announcement with Kelly as well. And then to end off the show, we're going we're going to some fun stuff to talk about that we've all played with a little bit, and that is we have Randy on, who has one of the the most successful podcast about drones called the Drone Radio Show. Yep, we're going to be talking about drones at the end of the show. All of that is coming up. Now, (laughs) I uh, posted a video in the auditor room, and I'm going to post it up on Horses in the Morning as well, so you'll find it there. Go to the Horses in the Morning Facebook page. It was a well-done video of Joseph flying his ultralight. Joseph, I don't know who did the video, but it looked professionally done.
2: It was, uh, interestingly enough, that was a person who came, responded to my ad because I have that, that ultralight for sale. And he came out and he asked if, if he could film it. And, and I said, sure. And I did basically, I go out for 20 minutes, usually on our ranch here. And I zip around the trees and make turns and banks and, and just have fun with an ultralight. And he filmed it. And, um, a couple of days later he said, Hey, I put this together and I watched that video and I, my mouth was just, Oh my God, the talent that that guy had to edit and put music and, and make it it all go. (laughs) It was beautiful. (laughs) It was beautiful. There's no, and it's, and it's not the order that it was filmed. You know, it's one thing. I mean, I would point my camera or whatever and and I would, (laughs) yeah, I let it go. He didn't do it. He wrote a story and he made it match the music and it just, it's just incredible.
0: beautiful it made you look impressive
2: (laughs) well it's smooth (laughs) let's put it that way and and the ultralight um it it did that particular day it's something i'd done a lot so it was it was just me out having a good time
0: did he buy it that's the ultimate question he did. Ah, oh, yay! <laughs> In the end,
2: he, he bought the ultralight. Yep, I'm really happy for him, and it's going to stay local. Uh, he's only about 45 minutes away, and I sold that ultralight to buy another one. But, but here's the thing. You know, if you've got a little 14-hand, perfectly trained uh, Mustang or Andalusian or something, and you're out doing classical dressage, and it, it's just so light and easy to use, and then you go get your, your 17-hand giraffe. And then you go try to do the same thing. It's better, but it's also different. And, and the new ultralight that I have, I'm still not absolutely convinced that I'm not going to wish I had the old one back. Because <laughs> the new one isn't quite as ultralight as, as, as the new one is.
0: Uh, so. You didn't wreck it, did you? Is that what you're trying to tell us? No,
2: no, 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 it's, (laughs) it's not wrecked, but it, this other one is, they're so pure. It's, it's the, the original ultralight was very lightweight, 250 pounds, and it's just some fabric or Dacron, some tubing, a propeller on the back and a snowmobile engine. And when you're flying the thing around, your legs are out in front of you and you think right and they go right. You think down, they go down. And it's just the purest form of, of Wright brothers flying, but that's all it will do. It, it just does what you see in the video there, and that's it. Whereas when you start to add additional training, so to speak, you add additional features to, a, to an ultralight, then you can expand your flight envelope a little bit and theoretically be able to do more.
0: Can you so, go higher and a, further? Is that...
2: you, both. both? Now, higher, oh. higher isn't really the key in ultralights because you don't have a cabin, and it right. gets really cold the higher up you go. Right. But you can definitely fly further. They, they fly faster because they have something called flaps, which allow them to be deployed to land slowly, but then you retract the flaps and you can fly faster. And um, so the, how, the bummer of it is... Pardon. how
0: As far as rules for ultralights, then, do you have to be a pilot?
2: Um, you don't have to be a pilot for, uh, for the lightest weight ultralight. The, the next step up, you have to have a, a sport pilot license, which basically says you can take off and land safely. Much mm. like the drone person we're going to be talking to, they talk a little bit now, what's required, you can't just go take one out. Right. But you don't have to have a, a full-on pilot's license, but the difference is you have to have an A&P maintain it, whereas the, the other one, you can be a lawnmower mechanic and maintain it. And so I, I guess they just figure that if you're just flying around a, um, you know, your own field, which is what the other ultralight is really only good for, then there's always a place to land. Hmm. And so you're not so concerned about an engine failure. And once you actually start to go somewhere, then you you would like to be sure there's somebody with some knowledge of how to maintain it.
0: And how high can you fl- legally fly?
2: Um, well, twelve five. You need to be thinking about oxygen. And so, oh, so you can I, get up I, that
0: high up the airplane? Oh level. yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You can you can get up higher than then you'll be comfortable. Believe me, when you you get up to six thousand feet, and um, it's cold. I mean, I I overdress every single time I fly. Because I know that by the time I'm four thousand feet above the ground,
0: I'll be cold. I've flown in Piper Cubs, and I think the highest we've gotten actually is five six thousand feet, and that's all the higher I wanted to go in a Piper Cub. And you're going up there, you know, in a lawn chair. So, um,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the view is great. The thing is, the higher you go, the slower it feels like you you're going.
0: Ah, uh-huh. that makes sense.
2: And since you're already going slow in the first place, <laughs> so when you like get up to about
0: 2,000,
2: <laughs> it feels like you're going backwards. And then you look down at the cars, and they're all passing you.
0: <laughs>
2: and then you go lower, and they're still all passing you because you have a headwind, and you're only doing 15 miles an hour. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> that make you want your helicopter back. <laughs> <laughs> uh <That's> No. <laughs> no. The,
2: the helicopter, the the cost of the dollar bills piling up underneath the rotor blades to make that thing go off the ground, is not something that I want to.
0: Experience. Yeah, your little uh, your little motorcycle engine's much cheaper.
2: <laughs> much cheaper to operate. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad you're yeah, having fun a, with it. Yeah, there's a joy to to flying ultralights that's that's really kind of indescribable. And this is not to say that they don't require skill, just because they have. A term like ultralight does not mean you're going to get in and teach yourself to fly it. it, it it's, not, it's just not going to happen. You're going to get up about 35 feet, you're going to get scared, pull the throttle, and crash. So <laughs> you, you do have just to like go Just like I out did with my drone. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: well, anybody that has a horse will know that you, even if it's a trained horse, you get on and squeeze your legs to that horse and grab the reins for balance, and you have a problem. <laughs> and so, you know, everything requires a Fortunately,
0: bit of you're bang. not uh, a 1,000 feet in the air when that happens, fortunately. No. Yeah. 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 Really. Well, that's fun. I'm glad you're having fun with it. I'll uh, definitely hop on over to Horses in the Morning's Facebook page, and you'll see the video there of Joseph flying around. Yep. All I'm right. Uh, let's go to our first guest, because we got a lot of them lined up today.
2: Well, my wife, Diane, has found a secret to a better horse. Located in Prineville, Oregon, his name is Terry Neal, and he has developed a style of outrider horse training that is pure horse communication magic. Over the years, we have sent several horses to Terry to, uh, to be introduced to a special blend of arena and trail work, and it's astonishing the transformation that occurs. Welcome, Terry.
3: Well, it's nice to be on the phone with you, and, uh, and I, I'm kind of uh, taken aback by all your flattery, so...
0: Oh, you know. Well, you know, you know what I pictured. You said outrider horse training. I pictured you taking every horse to the track because when I think outrider, that's what I think, right? I think oh, track. Yeah
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no definition, no set definition for what Terry does, but uh, and and it's really not flattery because we just had a horse, uh, Diane's horse, Jag, uh, was up there for a month, and that horse came back so confident and so trained and and so unbelievable um, he was actually here for 3 months so 3 months sorry yeah. and and yeah time flies right well you know what and, that uh, is
0: she didn't tell him the truth because he didn't uh, want or uh, she didn't want him to know what the bill was See, <laughs> so that's
2: whatever it is it's it's worth every penny because the, it's just Diane just loves that horse and and she's so confident and and comfortable on his back now and she's been getting involved in this this uh Uh, indoor I don't even know what they call it arena stuff where they do uh, trail stuff but basically in an arena and trail trail classes and he's such a star and he came back such a star and so confident but before we get into that I wanted to know a little bit about you personally and um, how you got into horses and your relationship with your wife when that started and there's so much interesting things about you that um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Terry Neal
3: oh well okay uh, don't usually talk too much about myself, so <laughs> um, I've been riding seriously for approximately 25 years. Uh, before that, I would have been on horses and stuff and been around them a little bit, but it wasn't a part of my life. So, But the last 25 years, pretty much and roughly, uh, I've really uh, enjoyed being around them and, and spent probably more time around horses than I have people. So, and, uh
2: and, and ha- During that 25 years, were you married to, to your wife the, the no, whole time? No. Uh,
3: we met through horses. Uh, uh-huh. we, uh, I had a, a horse that was boarded real close to where she lived, and um, and I would go over there and, and ride and, and uh, take care of my horse, and that's how we met.
2: And, we, and <clears throat> this was down in the Bay Area. Your wife's name is Judy, is that correct?
3: That's correct, yeah.
2: And this was down in the Bay Area that you met? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, north
3: of San Francisco,
2: about uh, 40 miles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that was my old stomping ground as well down there.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of strange, huh? I figure yeah. I'm
2: pretty strange <laughs> to then, out of California. <laughs> yeah, and that was going to be my next question. So so you were both uh, you were both attracted to riding and that kind of thing. And, and tell us a little bit about um, how you met, how you dated, and how you wound up where you did.
3: Well, uh, and I already said that that uh, my horse was boarded next to where she lived, and so uh, we just met each other through horses, basically. You know, just saying hi, and we would ride on the same ranch down there uh, quite often, and and so we'd go out together and and uh, and ride, uh, and then just you know one thing led to another. We got married in two thousand one, and I had a ranch in Southern Oregon down where 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 your place is going to be pretty soon. I bought that place in 1990, and so we'd go up there, take our horses up there, and and ride up there as well, you know. And um, but that's uh, that's how we got uh, to know each other. And um, then uh, as far as uh, the uh, the uh, move to Oregon, uh, <laughs> that was kind of a an unusual thing. It, it's uh, always funny how you look back at things and you see how did. How did this happen? And then you think, well, if I hadn't have done this, this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't have done that, this wouldn't have happened. And these are all in a good way, uh, right? But it can happen the other way too. But uh, anyway, uh, I was invited to participate in a clinic up in Bend, Oregon, um, and uh, so I came up here uh, and uh, rode in the clinic. And when we were right, when I was riding right the clinic, uh, Judy. Was We were looking for another horse for her because her other horse was getting kind of old, and really great horse, but but he was getting old, and, and you could tell he was just kind of getting tired. And uh, so we were looking, and there was this real nice bay horse tied up to a horse trailer. And it was a three-and-a-half-year-old, as it turned out and uh, she kept pestering me to ride him the whole time through the clinic and I didn't of course until the very end and the clinic's done and so she said are you gonna ride that horse and I said well I guess so so I threw a saddle on him and off we went out into the sagebrush where the clinic was going on and uh, and (laughs) gosh darn this this horse uh, best horse I've ever bought I mean it was just uh, it was amazing you just uh, Three and a half years old. You take him out, and he was a thinker. Um, and I, and you guys have ridden a little bit, or a lot, maybe. And uh, but you know, if you have a young horse and you come up to a, a small ditch that has water in it, there you tend to do one or two things. Usually they'll hesitate, or you know, not want to cross it. Or if they do cross it, they want to leap across
0: it. Right. Or in mine's case, he wants to roll in it. Want to roll. Oh, that's <laughs> even
3: more unusual. I don't know what kind of horse you got, but that's pretty a
0: hackney, of course. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, it's a famous video now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're not on him when he does that. Exactly.
0: It I drive carriages. That's even worse when they want to roll in it. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but he just kind of put his nose down and stepped across it, so it worked out pretty good. Um, that was you know, kind of an indication that he was a thinker, not a reactor, and that's the way he's always been. But we still have him, actually, too. He's 24 years old now, or close to it. And, uh, so. Now,
2: so, Diane was telling me in, in your... We're going to come back to that, but Diane was telling me that your background, um, in some ways, suits you perfectly for what you're doing, because you, you used to own a gym, and then you also... Um, uh, had multiple black belts, or or into into martial arts. Yeah, yeah and that yeah. you were also a uh, a farrier. I still uh, am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know we have this thing called manly man traits here. It's been you know we always talk to people about stuff and like you're hitting all the points. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, do you, know, you ride motorcycles? And <laughs> no, <laughs> I used to, but I, was, that was, I gave that up. <laughs>
0: of course, he did.
2: And, yeah, and, it's really amazing. Yeah, but, and I'm
0: starting to feel like a schmuck now. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. Here we go again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, more the reason I wanted to bring that up is that, that there's been a lot of life underneath your your um your saddle and I wanted to to ask people or ask you to tell people how old are you, Terry? So, I just turned 70. That is is absolutely astonishing, especially when when we're going to go into a little bit about your business now and and listen to what you do. So, your business, I, I want you to tell me about it, but how did you come up with the idea for what I call Outrider Training, or I don't know what you call it, but what do you call your business?
3: I don't call it anything. just, uh, just good good horsemanship. <laughs> <laughs> don't
0: need more than that. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, describe uh, what this good horsemanship entails, because... It's not, it's not a lion's training or it's not a, a, a Pirelli training or anything like that. It's, it's, it's completely different, and it doesn't involve just arenas. Um, tell us a little bit about your specific blend of special sauce there.
3: Mm, uh, well, I try to think about the horse, uh, and I... There's a lot of people that do this way better than me, but um, if you can think of the horse uh, as a horse, number one, not as a person or as a dog or anything else, they're a unique animal, and try to put yourself, try to think a little bit more like a horse. And and the if you can get their mind right, everything else falls into place pretty quick. And if you cause them to be worried or, or fearful or frustrated, then you're setting yourself back. So most of what I try to do is, when I start with a young horse, or any horse really, doesn't matter what the age, is to get them to relax, get their attention, get them to focus a little bit on what I'm asking to do, give and see how much try they got some horses have more try than others some are overachievers some are underachievers you know they're just like kind of like people in a lot of ways in that that regard even though i don't think of them as people but there is some parallels but that's that's where i start and and then you just start looking like in jag's case you know he was an easy guy you know he just he's pretty relaxed already uh and willing to focus on you you know he was kind of laid back so i you kind of have to light a fire on them under him to get him ghost at, at first and then you know uh, so some horses need that some don't you know some some are just like you barely just you know put your leg on them and they're zipping around others you know they need a little bit more um, so you just find out what they what what's going to help them you know and then you also have to think in terms of who the rider is who who you're training the horse for you know and what their objectives are of course but uh, so that's part of it um, and uh, you know you always you know you need your horses to do certain things uh, pretty much no matter what you do you need them to go forward you need them to move laterally at times you need them to stop maybe to back up um, you know so all those things you kind of cover but you want to try to set it up so things are uh, the horse um, thinks it's his idea to do it. You're not forcing it on him. You can't really get much done nicely with force or a lot of hard pressure. Sometimes you got to be pretty firm with them, but most of the time you get way more done um, if you're quieter, softer. And you just look for the slightest little try in the direction that you want them to go. Like I just started riding this little mare today, and she's a a three-and-a-half-year-old Hanoverian. And I got two rides on her now. Um, And today I just wanted to see if I could get her to back up a little bit. And you teach a lot of this stuff from the ground, so it does help you when you get in the saddle. But I just was riding her in a halter, so I just pick up on the halter and shift my weight back in the saddle a little bit and see if she can feel that. I know she can feel it, but she might not know what it means. And as soon as she even shifts her weight, I know she's thinking about going back. I'm going to release right there. I don't need a step or anything. And that's just how you start. But if you can keep it that, at that kind of pace, you don't aren't demanding of your horse. You can keep your horse relaxed. In a uh, you know and uh, their, their attention and that kind of frame of mind, you'll get way further, faster. Just uh, there's no uh, I've seen it done a lot of ways, and I've made a lot of mistakes trying to learn this and, and done things wrong. and so you hopefully you learn from your mistakes.
2: Well, your wife being a photographer when JAG was up there, one of the nice things was we got um, updates all the time, beautiful <laughs> photographs. Yeah. But what's really cool about what you do, and, and I, I didn't hear you say it specifically, so I want to bring it up. But you, you I call this out this outrider training because you ride out. You literally take customers' horses and, and saddle them and ride them and take them out in the mountains and take them well, out yeah. doing cattle. And, That's easy. And it, that's easy. <laughs> well, that's the fun part about it. If you think about it, that that you're actually getting paid to do what everybody would be loving to do, except with your skill level, you're actually introducing new obstacles and new new achievements to the horses you're doing it. And uh, tell us a little bit about your, your riding out training that you do.
3: Well, everybody thinks it's like real um, dangerous or complicated, or, and it's not. It's actually easier than riding in the arena. Horses aren't... <laughs> Aren't really attracted to arenas, <laughs> uh, right, so, right? Right. But uh, they do like to travel. They they like to go places. And if they, if you've got some wide open country or you know and stuff, uh, they want to go. And and it's the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you just get the horse going, and you know they'll want to see what's over the next rise, just like you do. You know, and uh, it's easy. You know,
2: uh, that's well, it, it's easy if you know the answer. But but a lot of people just kind of what you said. Well, you, you walk up to that I, stream and. And you got to know not to to be asking for things that the horse will be not able to do. And in your particular case, you know, I watch you work through and take the time it took to get Jag to cross comfortably. And once you did it once, every time after that, it was nothing to it.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, sometimes, you know, it's like a lot of things. You take a little extra time the first time because you're not thinking about whether you can get it. Don't, I don't even care if I get across the creek. Right. The main thing is keep the horse relaxed and let him know what you'd like to do and see if he'll try for you. And uh, if he gets a foot in the stream and and that's all he does that day, then that's okay with me. Almost always they cross. I mean, I don't think I can remember one that hasn't. But, you know, you don't approach it with any kind of agenda and uh, just let them let them figure it out on their own. And they go across it, and then it's easy.
0: It's funny how we expect our animals to learn quicker than we do. Because (laughs) we don't get everything the first time. It takes us practice over and over and over to do anything, right? That you're first starting out, you don't get it the first time. And yet we expect our animals to.
3: You know, the funny thing, though, is, uh, Glenn, that... (laughs) They learn way faster than
0: we do. Well, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, but, you know, it's it's just like we have this huge expectation that they're going to get it right now, first time. Yet, you know, (laughs) we spent 12 years in school to get some of it, right? Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it is astounding how people think, you know, like, oh, I'll send this horse to a trainer for 90 days and he'll be you know, dead broke and all
0: that stuff. I I, got to ask you about this because this has come up, we've been doing this show 10 years now, a long time, every day. And this has come up before and I I never got to ask this on the Horse Husbands episode so I'm going to ask it now because no women are supposed to be listening. Um... So, so my one of my big, biggest pet peeves is not that people send horses to trainers, it's that untrained people send horses to trainers. They get a trained horse back and they're still untrained. Now in Joseph's wife's case, she's she's trained. She's a she's a competent rider. But you know, so many times they send the horses away, they get them back, they still can't ride the horse and they blame you. How do you overcome that? Uh, you don't. Yeah. well, there you go. <laughs>
3: You don't. I mean, I mean, unless the person's willing to put some time in and learn how to ride. Uh, then,
0: do you ever you know. address it, though? It's happened to you. It's had to. You you train horses. Oh, sure, yeah. Do you address it and say you know, the problem's I, I, not I, the horse, it's you? You,
3: you? you try to. I guess one of the things I try to do is get the horse to fill in for the person as best, best as possible. So, you know, you kind of maybe overdo stuff that you... I mean, if it was my horse, I probably wouldn't spend so much time mm. on certain things, but I might overdo things with them just so that they're, you know, they're so routinized to something that they'll fill in for the person who doesn't know what they're doing. I had a, I got a little Mustang that I trained for a startup for a guy. uh, Put 90 days on him, kind of like I did with uh, Diane's horse, although Jag was already started, but uh, this horse was fresh. You know, he was been halter broke and stuff, but never ridden. I had him for 90 days, turned him over to my friend, and I know he didn't ride him hardly at all because he only rode with me because he was a green rider, never spent any time to figure out what I did with him, you know? And so he just follow along and, and, and Ken thought, you know, my friend thought he was, you know, really riding. <laughs> well, his horse was just following my horse.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: we'd go out and gather cows and, and, uh, and every once in a while we'd have to separate and then things would come apart,
0: for mm-hmm. him,
3: you know? So, uh, and it's it's uh, uh and I have him now he he ended up ken my friend hurt himself not on a horse but just through old age i guess more than anything and uh couldn't ride anymore and he ended up giving that horse back to me because i had liked him a lot uh, and uh it's time and, uh, but you know that's a that's a that's a real problem uh and it's unfortunate but you know, a lot of people look you know like I, I kind of relate it to like various machinery even though horses aren't machines they're not not, not even close but you know I could give uh, you know I mean I mean Joseph could give me a helicopter and it'd be a perfectly good helicopter and, I, and if I got it it I'd wreck it you know we
0: well, wouldn't, wouldn't even get it off the ground we wouldn't know how to do that <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean so you know I mean it, you know so it's 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 it has the same thing I mean you could you could get a horse really going really nice you could you could be you could be a, a world class cutting horse or reining horse or rain cow horse and you give them to somebody who was a mediocre or poor rider and then the horse is going to drop down to that level
2: So Terry the first time that I ever uh, met you uh, with a, a different horse though I introduced you to one of the forks that we uh, developed here called the Flexin fork. And this has been years gone by, and perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your experience with that product.
3: I still have the very first one you gave me,
2: <laughs> and I still use it. <laughs> and,
3: I, and Now I have two, and I'm using that one. I can only use one at a time, but uh, you know, I kind of alternate so they don't wear out faster. <laughs> <Yeah. they're> probably... <laughs> I'll have them probably for another 20
2: years, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and you're sport. using it outside, inside, cold, warm, the whole works. Because where yeah, you are in prime, yeah, but look, yeah. it's plenty cold.
3: Snow, mud, ice. You know, well, I don't do a whole lot of shoveling manure in the ice and snow. I kind of let it build up, and then you have to kind of catch up in the springtime.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I thank you for are, that. Yeah, great, it's, yeah. it's always nice to hear um, feedback from people. The only hey, time Joseph?
0: I, Terry, I just got, do you have the regular handled one or the carbon fiber handled one? you know I'm not even sure really. Joseph do you know what he has
2: oh, he's got a fiberglass you got one of the blue handled ones yeah okay yeah.
0: so i got the carbon fiber one just now i've been using the one you're using i've used for what 6 7 years and and i finally the basket's fine but the handle started to wear out um, really? Yeah, because we we bang them around. Um, we're not nice to our forks, and it still lasted six years. I'm so, very
3: careful with mine.
0: Yeah, see, we're just beating ours up. So, But I I got the carbon fiber handle one now. Oh, my God, there's a difference in weight, Joseph. There really, I haven't talked to you about it, but there is a huge difference in weight, and I thought the other one was pretty light.
2: Yeah, they, the other one is is kind of a normal um, weight, but the carbon fiber one, it's a half a pound.
0: I know, and, it's, it's really and light.
2: It, you, you don't think a half a pound makes a difference, but if you take half a pound and put it at the end of end of four feet, and then you keep on lifting it over and over again, it's it's almost surreally. Uh, light. It, it feels is. like a lightsaber in your. Do you hand.
0: know what Al- Jennifer said this too after using it? She said the balance is better with the carbon fiber one because it tends to have more weight on the end, which the end, makes yeah. it easier to turn it over and put it into the uh, manure spreader or whatever. So, uh, and I noticed that too. I noticed that using it was a tiny bit easier. Not that the other one's hard, but it right. was just made the balance a little better.
2: Yeah, and for people cleaning, Terry, you probably clean four or five. I don't know how many stalls a day you clean. But if you're cleaning 30 or 40 stalls a day like a lot of these professional users are, they're the ones that I really push towards the carbon fiber one. And and there's another case of wearing multiple baskets out and wearing the tines out, but they keep on the same handle for years and years and years. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, they're good forks. There's no doubt about that. Best one I've ever used.
2: Oh, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. Um, do you have a, a a website, Terry, that we can direct people to? to nope. To? Nope. You're just <laughs> word of mouth.
3: Yeah, word of mouth and uh, phone number.
0: Sorry.
2: Uh, well, I gotta know before we leave how how many hours a day do you spend in the saddle? Oh, it depends.
3: Uh, today uh, we were down sorting cattle for shipping at our friend's place, so I was down there for four hours, I guess, doing that. And then we came back here and I rode two outside horses and two of mine.
2: So probably <laughs> eight
0: hours, six hours. Yeah. Like that. yeah eight hours,
2: eight, eight hours a day, six hours a day. And that's what I understood. And it's, there's people that want to lead the cowboy life and somehow through all of your, your background and everything, the woman you married, the place that you live, you've managed to do it and make a living off of it. And, and um, and I I'm just so impressed with with what you do and and what you do for horses that I'm I'm really glad that you agreed to come uh, talk with us on the Horse Radio Network.
3: All right, well I hope it helped you out some.
0: Thanks, Terry. And if somebody wants to get a hold of Terry or lives up that way, we'll just have them get go through Joseph at this point, and Joseph Sounds can get good. you the number. So thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. And thanks we'll a lot, Terry. We'll talk to you again soon. Well, we probably could have talked to him for two hours. And what a you know what a thoughtful guy he is. And it. It's always those quiet guys that have like three black belts and could kill you with their pinky finger.
2: Yeah, I know. It's interesting. (laughs) And and he he rides in the videos. I see him riding my, my wife's horse and he rides so beautifully. But imagine your horse getting ridden between four and eight hours a day for 30 days. We're not talking about an hour where they take it in an arena, you know, and they do a little bit of dressage training or something. These horses go up and down mountains, down trails, over cliffs, around cows, across water, and they do it until it's just completely routine. And then, you know, Diane got it back and it's like, well, you got to cross the bridge and all the horses are like, what? I'm not worried about that. And he's wonderful. That that guy really, he's got a a secret sauce, I tell you, when it comes to horses.
0: (laughs) Well, that's very cool, and he, he apparently likes the flex and fork. And I know I we talked about me getting the new one, and we re- Jennifer and I fight over that one now. By the way, the, <laughs> the carbon fiber yeah, the,
2: the carbon fiber ones are fun. And Christmas is coming up, and and even if your your spouse or, or special significant other has a manure fork, consider buying another one that has the carbon fiber handle because they're they're really they're really something. They're All almost right. unnaturally light.
0: Let's talk about let's address an issue that came up in the auditor room about the forks, okay? So uh, an auditor said, I want to buy the fork, but shipping is so expensive. It's like $40 to ship them. And that's true because it costs a lot. Well, I don't know if you know this because Amazon kind of has beaten this out of our brains, but it's very expensive. You go ship a box to your family across the country for Christmas, and you're going to see how expensive shipping is. And these are big, tall boxes. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, Amazon ruined shipping for the small um the small entrepreneur, because they, they ship so much that they were just throwing small boxes into big packages. And then eventually UPS and FedEx realized that their airplanes were flying at flying around at like a quarter of their, their gross weight, which is not efficient for if you're a shipping company. So they, they raised their rates so that every package is done as though it's full of books. Mm. And and that way they filled the airplanes full of weight again. Well, that says that if you have a bigger package, it's based upon the dimensional size of the package and not, and the not what's inside of it. Yeah. So uh. they they bill you as though it's full of books. And so when you're selling something like a manure fork with a with a long handle, there's nothing that we can do about it. We wish that that we were. And, and in our case, it's not that expensive of a product. And so as a no, your profit margins of, are not that high. No. no, no. In fact, uh, at at one point, um, UPS was making more on profit than uh, than we make on the product, and they're giving no value added whatsoever other than the delivery. It was quite upsetting.
0: Well, I wanted so, to read. This is one of the reasons I brought this up. Is is the listener said? So after sneakily listening to Glenn Hebert and Joseph do the <laughs> horse husband show, I decided to give the Fork <laughs> a try. But I when I went to order, it's almost forty dollars for shipping, <clears throat> and then the comments were the great part. Um, so uh, a couple of them said it's worth the shipping, but yes, go ahead and get three in a pack. It's worth it. Share with friends, get a couple of friends to move up to the flex and fork and get a three pack, uh, or get a shaken fork. Now, obviously the shaken fork it's a little more expensive. So the shipping, uh, relatively speaking is not as much, but, um, the three pack thing is a good idea. Explain that.
2: Well, the three pack, we give you free shipping. And so you, you darn near get half or a little two thirds of a fork paid for because we'll take care of your shipping. And that's obviously because we can put more of them into a box. There's a little bit more margin. And the same thing goes with the shaken fork. I think it's $5 more to buy the combo, which puts a a flex and fork in with the shaken fork. And then you get free shipping on that. So for five bucks, you can get a flex and fork and free shipping. So the combo with the shake and fork and the flex and fork. And then the other cool thing is you can get one with the mini tine basket, one with the standard tine basket, and they're interchangeable. So you can go back and forth and decide which one you want to shake and which one you want to just let the motor do the work. And so there, there are some values out there. It's just that buying one at a time. Of course, if you only need one fork for the next 10 years, that's a pretty good amortization for forty bucks worth of shipping.
0: Well, and I think that's what you know. The the mission they center on was you know go find a couple friends and go together and get one, and then it, its price is going to be down for everybody. So yeah, and and
2: you know one, if you buy a three pack, you put one in the barn. In the barn, you put one outside
0: one in to the take trailer. care of your
2: pet, and one in your trailer. Yeah, and and so eventually you're going to be glad that you have it because when you get that that Southern Fork, you know the one with the broken tooth that you've been carrying around in your trailer. You'll be mad that you are so cheap that you're not buying a second fork. So, might as well get three at a time.
0: When we just got our new ones. Uh, one of Jennifer's comments was, you kept the one, right? Because the one, we, we had to get rid of the handle because we had <laughs> totally trashed it. But um, the, we kept the basket for a replacement basket, and that basket's been used for six years. Uh, yeah. But then we had an extra fork, and she said, I know where that's going, and it went right into the trailer. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, because right. right. she couldn't yeah. stand using the cheap forks in the trailer anymore. But yeah, it's uh, holidays are coming. This is an excellent—we're talking about gifts coming up here with the next guest, but this is an excellent— gift. It's a gift that will literally keep on giving or forking or manure forking for about uh ten years. So uh you heard you heard Terry, it's the best fork he's ever used and he's seventy years old. So there you go. Uh, yeah and
2: get your get a fork with one of uh with one of herd's bracelets put on it and you've hit all the bases.
0: Oh that's a beautiful idea. Where can they buy it?
2: Uh, it's at equitymfg.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-E-E-M-F-G.com. And, uh, my wife and I both work here. And so you're not going to, um, get some, some faraway India phone call order taken person.
0: Give us a call. Well, coming up next, we have a friend of the horse radio networks for years and years and years. I, pr- well, I've probably been seeing him at trade shows for, for tw- 11 years since we started the horse radio network. And that's Kelly Hurd of Kelly Hurd Jewelry. We're going to be talking a little bit about jewelry. We're going from a tough cowboy to talking about jewelry in the holidays. And guys, you want to listen to this because, you know, we screw up holiday and gifts for our horse women all the time. Kelly's here to make sure we don't screw it up again this year. Hi, Kelly.
1: Hi, hey, Glenn. How are
0: you? Good. It's good to have you on again. So, just to, for a little bit of background, I know that a lot of the listeners know who you are from past years talking to you on the shows. But uh, how long's Kelly Hurd been around?
1: We have been around a long time. We have actually been making jewelry since 1983.
0: Wow! And so it, it, we it, have been around a while. Has it always been equestrian related?
1: You know, it has been. We we really started off in the retail end of the business, doing some trade shows and designing some things for, like, the Quarters Congress, the Quarters World Association, those type of things. And it was about um, 11 years ago, I guess, when you ran across a a Sedata. So we we branched into doing that.
0: So how does a... And we were talking to this last guy we had on as a... I mean, a true cowboy, you know, and a martial artist and everything else. And I know you, and you're a big, tough guy. How does a big, tough guy end up in the jewelry business?
1: You know what? 90% of the people that's in the jewelry industry, it's a family industry. And yeah. in the same holds true
0: for me, too. Yeah, you, you were born into it. <laughs> like,
2: I, yeah. I was reading on your website here, which is, was uh, uh, kellyherdjewelry.com, and it was talking about making that special day better and custom design jewelry. Are, are you an artist? Is that your background in this to, that's, re- that's to be a, able to actually design that's jewelry?
1: Whole, that's exactly what we do. We're a full in house manufacturing and design. And we have been doing that, the actual design and manufacturing part, since uh, way back in the early 90s. Um, So people can come to us and say, hey, Kelly, I've got this idea.
2: I've got this idea. And we put that
1: idea together in a sketch. We show it to them, let them approve it. In the old days, we would carve the wax. And now with technology, of course, it's caught up with everybody. We just CAD-cam it out. We can have them a full drawing with all their measurements they want, usually within 48 hours. And a finished product just
0: in a couple of weeks. Do you, do you do 3D printing for anything, for the molds or anything?
1: We do, yes.
0: Yeah? Absolutely. I didn't think about 3D printing when it came to jewelry, but that makes sense. It would make it so much easier.
1: Yeah, we can, we can just cast right out of that resin, and just, it's it's fantastic.
0: Oh And well, I, I have not yet seen uh, our really cool Horse Radio Network logo in a ring for me yet. I'm just saying, <laughs> Kelly. I'm just throwing that out there because I haven't seen work. it yet.
2: <laughs> now I'm I'm seeing a lot of bling here. Is 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 the the diamonds and things like that normal, or do you do you use all different kinds of um, stones or whatever in your jewelry?
1: Well, we we have really made our line affordable for everybody, whether you have, uh, you know, a, a nice $100 taste or if you have a $100,000 taste, we, we can do it all. So uh, a lot of our things we sell in Starling Silver, most of them are under $100. Most of the things in gold that we sell are well between a $1,000 and $20,000. So um, we, we have something that if anybody wants it, they can come here and, and get it from us. So...
0: All right, let's talk horse husbands. You've dealt with a lot of them over the years. <laughs> so, I have. Uh, yeah, all right. So let's go with the things to do and don't when you're buying your horsey woman uh, uh, a piece of jewelry for Christmas.
1: Well, one of the nice things that we do is if we're making, uh, no matter what size of horseshoe necklace, because we make several different sizes of them, but we typically make a matching pair of earrings that go with us. You can buy a set together and have a complete set. Then if you have an anniversary or Mother's Day or something coming along in the summer, then you can add the ring that we typically have that goes with that particular set, too. And you would always give the husband something to build upon, or if he just wants to buy one and, and maybe save the one for later for Valentine's Day, he, he can do that. But um, we traditionally try to get that together, so we keep it, keep it very simple for the husband's.
0: Yeah, so if I call you up and say, I have no idea what to do. You know, she likes horses and pretty much anything around horses. And she has a couple of rings, but she's not a super jewelry person. But I'm sick of buying her hay. Uh, what would you t- where would I start?
1: So that, that, that's where we're, we're going to start asking you a couple questions. And we can say, tell me the kind of rings that she already has. Does she have maybe a sapphire ring? What month was she born in? Tell me a, And honestly, if she, if the husband could tell me a little bit about how she's built, 90% of the time, we can guess the correct ring size. Hmm. Now, there's a trick to ring size. If for some reason he wants to surprise her, he doesn't know her ring size, just when she goes to bed and takes the ring off, put her ring on your finger and know where it fits you at. And then you go get that part of your finger measured. Uh. at a local store, And then you can call me and you'll know the exact size.
0: I didn't there even think, think about doing it that way before on your own yeah. finger. Now, now, I would forget where it went to, so I'd have to, like, draw it in ink, and then Jennifer would wonder why I have this ink drawing around my finger, but, I mean, okay. <laughs> you have somewhat unique rings, too. The one that I saw, and I just love this one, and I'm, I'm sure Jennifer would hate it, but I love it, uh, is the one, you have a ring that looks like a, a Western belt, I love yeah. that ring for some reason. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's it, it has the Western belt buckle and everything on it. I just think it's cool. You have some clever well, we, stuff we, is what I'm trying to say, stuff you don't see normally.
1: Well, we we have... I tell people, people ask us about my type of jewelry, you know, at these shows, and I'm telling them we're 10% Western, we're 10% English, but we're 80% for everybody.
0: Right, horse. You're 80% so, horse. If you're a true...
1: Yeah. Wyoming Cowboy, then we've got a true Wyoming Cowboy piece of jewelry for you. Wow. But if you're a weekend person who just likes to ride and enjoy the Western lifestyle or the
2: English lifestyle and be around horses, then we have something for you, too. you got to be pretty creative when your major design theme is a horseshoe. But I'm looking at some of these things that you've done with horseshoes, and it's pretty impressive. You you really know how to take a simple design and turn it into something. It's
1: well, it's it's been all those years around the equestrian environment, not just traveling to to retail shows. My darling wife has 25 acres and about a 40 stall barn, so she's out every day. Uh,
0: and how how I'm much are you 20, drug 40, out there? Uh, how much are you drug out there, Kelly? <laughs>
1: the, the rule of thumb is keep Kelly away from the barn. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Keep them earning, not spending, huh?
0: Do all the designs have to be run by your wife for approval to make sure they're they're absolutely correct?
1: At this point, she she trusts me. She's like, do what you do. It's no problem. <laughs> I don't interfere with what goes on at the barn, and she usually doesn't interfere with what goes on in my office. <laughs> it, it keeps a nice, healthy relationship.
0: <laughs> yeah, because your your business is paying for hers. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
2: I've been scrolling through, and, and I just came across the pair that I'm going to order. I'm not going to tell you which one on the air, because Diane will hear it. But there's some really, really nice-looking jewelry here.
0: And different. Beautiful. I, I you really like the, the, the tall boot. They have a necklace with tall boot in the stirrup. That's kind of—they're just different. And I do have a big announcement to make right now, too, is that uh, Kelly Heard Jewelry, thanks to Kelly, uh, has participated in a Radiothon, a holiday Radiothon, pretty much every year for the last many years. And this year, stepping up, going to be one of the grand prizes—a five hundred dollar gift certificate from Kelly Heard Jewelry for one of the grand prize winners. So, wow. thank thank you for that. That's going to make somebody really happy at Christmas.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's what we try to do. You know, so
0: fantastic. Well, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I, too bad we can't win, Joseph, because I could have my Christmas covered right there.
2: I was I was just um, not gonna say that
0: <laughs> that I can't participate. yeah you're cut out too Boo. <laughs> so all right so if you have one last piece of advice for a guy looking to go the jewelry route what well, my piece of advice one is do not buy anything that's not horse related for jewelry that will not go over period if you're buying jewelry for a horse girl damn well it has something to do with horses so let's start there
1: so I, I, I tell husbands just relax. Get what you think that she likes, and the nice thing is, for some reason she wants to exchange it for something else or two or three more things, then she is welcome to do it. So it's not a problem at all.
0: Is there something that you have that's, like, your most popular thing?
1: There is. There is a little, uh, what I call, a little bolo bracelet that we're doing with the horseshoe. It is a fantastic piece of jewelry. We brought it out a little over a year ago, and we have probably sold a 1,000 of them over the past year.
0: Is that and the one adjust- with all the horseshoes lined up?
1: No, it's okay. just, it's got one single horseshoe with stones uh, wrapped around it. Oh, if you're, I see. If you're, it. It, if you're on the website, I see it's it. NF04, yeah. It's at, and it'll adjust. So if you're a, a small, you know, if you're 60 years old or you're 60 years old, it doesn't matter, it'll adjust to the size of your wrist.
0: Sterling silver. Um, it's a it's a uh, kind of got a Western bolo tie closure at the end. It's 125 right. bucks, so it's the right price. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's cool. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, g- <laughs> have fun packing those boxes. All right, <laughs> Joseph Glenn, thank you. All right, thanks. Yeah. Oh. Well, speaking of the holidays, most of you know that we use Wintech saddles here at the Horse Radio Network studios in Florida, and you'll be excited to learn that they're having a sale right now: twenty-five percent off the retail price of selected models because they're coming out with the new models, like the old model cars, and they're coming out with the new model cars. Well, it's the same thing here, so you're going to want to take a look right now at the popular Wintech 500 All Purpose, the Wintech Pro Jump, Wintech Isabel, Wintech Pro Endurance, and many more models because they are having a sale at up to 25% off. You know, winter's coming, and this is the perfect saddle for winter. One, because when it gets dirty, you hose it off, literally just hose it off. You don't have to worry about leather cracking. You don't have to worry about drying out in the winter. You don't have to worry about mud, rain, snow, or anything else. It doesn't matter because it is truly weatherproof. And, And, you know, it's one of the reasons we love them here in Florida. We can leave them outside in the summer when you can't leave leather outside. It molds overnight. So we leave them outside all the time hose them off, wipe them down, you're done. So this value or this offer is valid now while supplies last. you got to get in to get this 25% off. Visit your nearest wintech local or online dealer today or visit wintech saddlescom That's wintech saddlescom Don't forget about the Easy Change Gullet System and all the other reasons that people buy wintech saddles.
2: And you know, Glenn, here at, at Firefly Ranch, we have WinTech saddles. Really? And I didn't know that. Talk yeah, well, one of the things we were just talking about was the lightweight of the carbon fiber handle pole. And, and what we really appreciate about Wintech saddles is they're so lightweight. And, yep. and as people age and it gets harder to, to, to put that heavy saddle on your horse. It's really nice to have a wind tech that you can throw on there and um, you can use that gullet system and, and change it over from different horses. So we, we think they're great. We've got several of them.
0: And you have a lot of rain in winter where you are. So, it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, we, we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk drones. Well, we are switching gears again on this show. We have gone from the manly man to talking about jewelry for your sweetie, your horsey girl, for the holidays. To now being talking about guy stuff, we're going to talk about drones today. And I couldn't think of anybody better to join us than Randy, who is the host of the Drone Radio Show. Hi, Randy. Hey, Glenn. How are you doing? I think I met you soon after the show started, or before even. I'm not actually. I th- I think you met me just be- as I was
4: conceptualizing. I went to the first uh, podcast uh, workshop.
0: That's right, in Tampa, and that's where I met you. Well, it's down in Tampa. Yeah. And you th- how many years has this show been going on now? It's been just over four years, I believe. And I see you've done some great things with this show. It's it's uh it's probably gone further than you thought it would. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's
4: gone further and faster than I thought it would. You know, I thought it was gonna take several years. You know, my goal was to establish it as a as a reputable podcast on the industry. And I thought it was going to take me several years, but it actually took me a couple of years to gain attention and and actually be part of the industry, which has been really humbling.
0: And you you talk about the business of drones, right?
4: Yeah, the podcast is uh, you know the tagline is the sh- the show about drones and the people that use them for business, fun, and research. So. I answer the question people want to know about, you know, what 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 do you what, what can you do with a drone? You know, can you make money? Can you have fun? So I interview people who are doing all those things. They're building a business. They're doing something very innovative with the technology. They're out uh, doing some research. So I interview people that are just regular people who have found a way to make some extra money all the way up to vice presidents and CEOs and major corporations. Hmm.
0: and joseph's a helicopter pilot fought fires for many years in that helicopter and also flies ultralights. joseph do drones bore you or do you like drones
2: oh no i love them yeah i i, I, I think they're fantastic when we were fighting fires we were we were having difficulty in the in the interface between people that wanted to film the action of of the fire and all of the aircraft and um and then getting into the restricted airspace but with a it's been pretty timely that 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 now the drone operators and the people that are selling them are, are saying you know you can't fly these things anywhere you want you you got to be respectful and stay away from fires and stay away from other events that that can can have problems but drones are they've advanced just what what you said so far and and what they're able to do now is is just absolutely incredible and and i think we've just scratched the surface um it wasn't that long ago that a drone was something that was used for the military and now everything from from uh, beginners to to absolute professionals are flying drones and that's one of the things i was going to ask you is i think the biggest changes have come in the beginner drones haven't they
4: uh, yeah, well, the, there's a lot of changes that are going on. and A lot of, you know, from the hardware side, you know, the part that's really starting a, a big trend that uh, I, don't, I don't think was anticipated is um, the manufacturers were producing these um, drones for the consumer market because they were considered hobby-type uh, activities. And then they started think then the commercial interest started to grow a little bit. And what was starting to happen is, the commercial sector uh, started using the hobby drones to do some of their work. They found that the drones had the had the kind of features they were looking for, and the challenge is is that when if you're a commercial commercial entity, you know you're looking for a commercial grade drone, where a hobby drone is not a commercial grade drone. So there's been a big change in the industry of making these hobby drones that can actually do commercial work, and so that, that creates a whole different hobby drone. It's no longer a hobby drone. It's actually a, it's something in between a hobby and a commercial drone. So you're finding these drones that have features that, that, uh, that, are, that, are, that, are, that a commercial person would want in the hobby market. So it's been very interesting. They're no longer toys uh, any, uh, anymore. They're actually uh, fairly sophisticated uh, flying
0: vehicles. You can tell. it I mean, the movie industry is one that, boy, you have seen drones and TV. I and some of the shots they have to rent helicopters for. I mean, it must have caught, cut cut costs tremendously.
4: Oh yeah, that that was probably the big, the first industry to really jump into it was the the movie, the film and television industry because just for those same reasons that it enabled them to get shots. That it would require a helicopter. Some of the still the high end movies will still go with helicopters because they're able to take up uh, the higher, higher performance cameras, the heavier cameras to get the get the quality they're looking for. But what's really helped was the lower budget films be able to get a shot that they normally wouldn't have been able to get. And uh, it's, it's opened up some creativity at
3: that level.
2: Oh yeah, you look at everything from like Gold Rush, the, the, these made-for-TV movies and and uh, reality shows, and how many drone shots are in those. And I don't even know how they do it if they didn't have drones, because their budget is so limited. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, these days uh, when I was flying the drones, it was because I had a commercial pilot's license, and you had to have that in in order to 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 use drones commercially. But I think that's changed, hasn't it? Now, well, you, now you, you don't
4: you st- you have to get a certification it's called the part 107 certification and it's a uh, basically you have to f- demonstrate a knowledge of the airspace and the rules of flying a drone and so you have to take a test. Uh, you have to show that you have that knowledge. Uh, some of the questions are very similar to what a certified pilot would take in terms of weather and, uh, and airspace around airports and so forth. Uh, and then others are uh, questions that are geared towards the actual drone industry and, and the rules and regulations for drones. So if you're going to uh, uh, make think about making money using a drone, uh, you have to be a Part 107 certified drone pilot to be able to do that.
0: Now, just flying it around my farm, you know, most people listening here have small farms or large farms. Uh, do I need any certification to do that now? No,
4: if you're just flying it on your own property, uh, you, you know, the key things that you have to do is you have to stay below 400 feet. And it's where your proximity, where you're located in proximity to an airport. You have to make sure that you're not going to interfere with airport operations. Most of the new drones have a feature that is uh, a geofence for where you can fly and you can't fly. Oh. So it'll it'll already come if you're near an airport you're in a, or a or no fly zone it'll already come uh, with the inability for you to fly and you have to get it uh, unlocked. You have to justify where you're at and uh, and let the let the um, the manufacturer know where you're at so they can unlock it. Like I fly I have a drone a small drone that I that I want to fly indoors and I happen to be uh, about 3 miles, less than less than two miles away from Tampa International Airport, Uh, and I couldn't fly it indoors until I had the manufacturer unlock it. I had to let them know that I was flying it indoors so I could practice inside. I didn't want want to have to go out and uh, find an open field. I wanted to practice some of my maneuvering inside.
0: Are you using it to deliver beer from the kitchen, be honest? (laughs) Uh, That would be a good application.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now when I was learning to fly drones you learn by crashing and Yeah, I, well, that's how I, I did first, it. <laughs> yeah, I I I had I had my first drone got crashed to oblivion. The second one got crashed and repaired to oblivion. The third one I think that one is probably still around and but if I'm understanding now, they've got some some crash-worthy stuff like they have um uh, uh they know their surroundings so they won't crash into stuff. Is, isn't that right?
4: well the drone the drones are smarter and they're uh, more stable and they um, probably are a little bit more a uh, uh, little bit more difficult yeah they're more intelligent maybe a little bit more difficult to fly if you if if you if you're not uh, uh making any mistakes um but that's that's a good thing and a, and a and a bad thing you know the good thing is they're a little bit they're easier to fly and they and they don't uh, test all of your uh, your skills to keep it in the air and keep it moving the negative side is that you still need to know what those skills are in case you get in trouble uh, <laughs> most and most people have trouble when the when the drone turns everybody most people can fly a drone s- straight because left is left right is right but when you're flying and the drone turns around and it's backwards. facing towards you. Left is no longer left, and, and that's when I wreck
0: it. And exactly. people get <laughs>
4: people go get, get, get confused. You know, if you happen to be near a tree or yes. near a building, um, that's when usually trouble comes. Or if you get a hard win. Uh, so, uh, in, in some respects, the new drones because they are more sophisticated, they're easy to fly. But unless you're out there practicing for all of the what if scenarios, one day that what if scenario comes, and you're and you may not be able to uh, to get your drone out of it.
0: You know, I know a lot of the horse girls who posted videos are really liking the idea of the follow drones that when they're riding yeah. it will follow them. Um, and is that something that's becoming more popular that, that particular type for for bicycles and you know all kinds of things?
4: Yeah, I think it is, but it really gets down to the you know, it's it's popular for the people that want the drone to follow them. You know, not everybody wants a drone to follow them. And, and yeah, and when you're looking for that feature, you really have to ask yourself, you know, uh, you know, why do I want the drone to follow me? You know, how many how often am I gonna want the drone to follow me and 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 am I gonna do that often enough to justify that particular drone or that particular feature because it always looks great in the videos uh, but you have to ask yourself That's how true. often am i doing that That's now true. if you are if, if you're an avid horse right ride, horse rider and you're out in open spaces then you always have the opportunity to do that and the drones are light enough and they're foldable you can just put it in your backpack and you get out to a certain spot and you toss it in the air and you can take some really nice video of yourself boy and the cameras on these things have been improved a thousand percent too Oh yeah, there's. I mean, you get some really nice uh, video and some nice stills, uh, and they're obviously they're going to get better over time.
0: What's the weirdest thing you've ever heard? I mean, in your show, what's the strangest thing you went on or thought about a drone being used for that before?
4: Well, the, there's one story. I mean, this is a pretty popular story, and I'm sure if, as I talk, I'll think of some others. But the one that is the the weirdest and yet the most when you, when when it's described when it's yeah, when you when you learn why they do it, it makes perfect sense. But there's a drone called the Snotbot, and what it does, it flies through the 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 mist created by the blowhole of a whale, and collects the uh, the mist from the whale. It truly is a
0: snotbot. And it you know <laughs> it has
4: a little gauze palette on it or whatever, and it flies through and catches it. And the reason they do this is so that the researchers can analyze the uh, mist or the stuff that comes out of the whale and determine if the whale is sick or not. Uh, and they used to be able to, they had to do this before by bringing the, the small boats next to the whale and they'd have a boom with the same sort of gauze trying to catch it. So they'd be more dangerous. They'd spook the whale. This way the, the drone can fly above the whale. The whale doesn't have any problems and it just waits until it, uh, it's ready to clear his uh, blowhole and they get what they need.
2: You, know, you, you talk about that technology, but I, I had read not too long ago that they're now setting drones up so they fly through the, the exhaust smoke of, of um, ocean-going tankers because they're they're not supposed to be running that really filthy crude crude fuel anymore, but you can't tell the difference unless you can somehow test the smoke. And so they've got these drones that fly through the smoke, and they, they tell them, you know what kind of diesel or what kind of pollutants they're putting out. So uh, huh. a different different um, different variation of the same theme.
4: Yeah. And the thing that that keep in mind is the as the industry matures, less and less is about the drone and more and more is about the sensors that the drone is carrying. Yeah. And, and and you talked that's a perfect example. Right now one of the the, 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 the more important developments Uh, In the hazardous uh, materials area for police and fire departments uh, are sensors that can uh, pick up a variety of different gases, say in a a fire uh, or a car fire or, or at the port where you don't know if it's methane, if you don't know if it's oil or gas or whatever. Uh, a drone can fly in with these sensors that can disting, dis- distinguish between all these variety of hazardous gases, yeah. and it, it can let it can let the fire uh, the fire officials know almost instantly what type of hazard they're up against. Because uh, previously they didn't know, they didn't know what would be in there, so they have to suit up for all kinds of uh, of uh, hazards. Now the drone can help them isolate. What the hazard is, how much of it is there, where is it at, and so they can better plan for the the the, the 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 fire.
2: Do you think there's ever going to be a time where where drones are going to be delivering packages? I mean, I'm a st- absolute hundred percent skeptic of this. Just so you uh, know.
4: yeah, eventually it will, but it may be uh, it'll start in some very controlled environments, places where the where you can get from the the, uh, the package place. To the end uh, delivery without having to fly over a lot of different obstacles, and then they'll figure out a way to try to move around. The biggest challenge in in the delivery
0: part. is rednecks. Yeah, yeah, rednecks. <laughs> I mean, that's. I live it, in know. redneck country. They're going to shoot the suckers out of the sky. <laughs> it's all about it's all about flying
4: over uh, place. <laughs> uh, yep, you know, it's it's the safety aspect of flying over people. Yeah. Those.
2: And that's, that's what I keep thinking is the moment a drone goes through the windshield of a car at 60 miles an hour, it's, it's done. And, yes. and they're not, I mean, they're reliable, but they're not that reliable.
4: But so. You know, one of the things that will happen maybe before they deliver packages is that they'll actually be be delivering people before they deliver packages. There's a, there's a whole movement called the urban air mobility movement yeah. of, of using the same technology that is powering drones to move people across their own city uh, to help them avoid the traffic congestion and provide that extra alternative. And um, Uber is actually uh, testing their facility next year in Dallas. Uh, to be able to uh, uh, pick up people on on top of
0: rooftops and ferry them across the city to another rooftop. Okay, Joseph, yeah. you're a helicopter pilot for a very, very, very long time and a commercial yeah, pilot. Yeah, would you yeah, get I, one of those suckers? <laughs> oh,
2: there's not a chance. And, and we had <laughs> we we had a lot of experience with the the drones that that were going to replace the pilots doing firefighting, and I just said it's not going to happen in my lifetime. I mean, there's one thing on a you know when they're doing a commercial test. But it's it, there's so many parameters that you have to put into 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 practice, and and the human brain, I think, until a, a AI is so much more advanced, I'm not seeing it. I, yeah, I think it, I'll be out of business.
4: It's going to be several years before you, any any of these air mobility systems are actually yeah. human, are human powered. But the technology behind it, the engines, and the ability to maneuver, the size, you know, the size are only like four to six people. Uh, planes and they and they have anywhere from 12 to 18 engines that that can vi- that can yeah. rotate and yeah. they're qu- they're quiet. Uh, but the idea is that just like any aircraft, uh, the FAA is going to want to see th- hundreds of thousands of hours of flight time before they even move on to the next level. And as you mentioned, the AI has got to be proven over years uh, before they even let somebody go in there without a pilot.
0: Yeah, they really yeah. don't want them flying through the fifty-story office building and coming out the other side. That's right. Not, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <that's>,
2: <laughs> I, I read about their their quiet drone, and they they compared it to a fully loaded twelve thousand pound Huey helicopter. And here they had this six hundred pound drone, and it was you know half half of the the uh, decibel level. And I thought, yeah, but let's make it carry twelve thousand pounds <laughs> and see what its <laughs> decibel level is. Yeah. So, right. They were—they really didn't do a fair comparison. So there's a lot of there's a lot of room for improvement. Let's put it that way. On, <laughs> yeah.
4: Level. But for now, drones are really really great at the you know in- infrastructure inspections, being able to inspect yeah. bridges. Uh, they're they're very really power lines, power realtors. lines,
0: realtors, <laughs> realtors, one of the are biggest users. <laughs> yeah, they're using them
4: quite a bit. Yeah. You know, the uh, electric industry when they the, the power plants. Uh, yeah. They used to be. They used to have to shut down uh, parts of the power plants. They have the have a human inspection. Now they can keep the plant running while a drone does the inspection. So the amount of time saving and money saving that the drones are providing to some in- industries is pretty significant.
2: I wish they'd have named them something else. You know, Other like an drone ultralight. It sounds <laughs> yeah, because drones. You know, that was a weapons carrying system from you know World War Two or whatever. And and now it it's these small little toys that are flying around still have that name and i i wish they'd come up with with a, a better name
4: than a drone yeah the industry actually excuse me the industry actually refers to them as uh uavs unmanned aerial vehicles so yeah. you know, that's the that's the other name it's uh, uavs uh, or uas unmanned aerial systems and that's the, that's probably the name that most in the industry would rather uh, at least when it, when it began started to grow that's what they were migrating towards yeah. But now drones have sort of become uh, people s- accept that a little bit more. They don't automatically equate it to a, a, a destructive uh, power system.
0: Yeah, yeah, I never yeah. thought about it, but droning does, the word drone does have a negative connotation. We all know people who just right. drone on and, on and on and on You know, it's, yeah. I, I didn't think about that till now. So, all right, well, we're going to wrap up with this, Randy. So if somebody's looking at getting their first one, I know you, you're not recommending specific ones, but what do they ask themselves when they're going out, and they don't want one that's going to end up sitting in the closet because they just got bored with it or can not fly it at all. What, what, what do you, where do you start? I think they have to first of all ask themselves: Are they are
4: they looking for to have fun with it and to learn about it, or are they looking f- to with the eye towards uh, a business? Um, and the the big part of it is, no matter what drone they get, they're going to have to learn to fly it. So it's good to buy to buy a drone that isn't really expensive that has all the features that you're looking for. And there's a few out there that are within the four to five hundred dollar range. That have the stabilization, the um, the sensors that will uh, help you stay uh, without running into things, the sense and avoid stuff. Um, that will give you the skills that you need to uh, to fly it, and then you can decide then whether or not you want to go up to the thousand or two thousand dollar drone and develop a, a business out of it. But yeah, yeah, you want to be able to do ask those questions. The other part is, um, are you looking for a drone to take? Uh, images and, and learn how to fly, or are you looking to do something that's in the drone racing, which is really more skill-based, and that uh, you really want to get into that, where it really requires you to be almost like a pilot, because you, you're full control of the drone and uh and you can do uh, do some really crazy things
1: and they're fast
4: they're very fast but wow! it gives you it gives you a different entirely different perspective because now you're looking at the drone or you're piloting a drone through the eye of the drone rather right. than looking at the drone from the ground and piloting it from from maybe looking at your phone and so forth so uh those are the two big questions is what are you going to do with it how much you want to spend and if it's your first drone. Yeah, it's, it's always good to start uh, less expensive. There's places you can try to rent one, uh, uh, and and try to rent a drone for a few days, and uh, and see which one you like, and, and move it forward.
2: And Craigslist is really good for used drones too.
4: Yeah, buying a used drone, used drone, you really can't go wrong with it if you're just trying to figure out if you if you want it for something more important.
0: And do not practice in the field with your wife's horse. So yeah, let's keep that in mind too.
2: That and and
0: may you know, not funny go thing well. about
2: drones, they are they are strangely attracted to women's hair. <laughs> because when mine would go crazy, invariably it would be like a bat out of whatever headed for my wife's hair. It was it was
0: <laughs> And we wonder why she didn't want you to get an ultralight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, where can people find your show? It's at
4: DroneRadioShow.com or on uh, iTunes or Stitcher or some of the other outlets.
0: Uh, You can subscribe uh, there as well. All right. Are we going to see you at PodFest? Uh, Yes, I hope so. All right. Good. I hope to see you there. Thanks, Randy. All right. Thank thank you you very much. I had fun. Well, that's it for this Horse Husbands episode. Now, next, we're going to talk to Joseph. God, I can't believe I'm saying this. We'll be Radiothon coming up.
2: How, how is this happening?
0: I don't know. You know, our months have turned <laughs> into weeks. I weeks
2: know. We're going to turn into days. I think we're going around the sun faster.
0: <laughs> so Radiothon is December the 2nd. Joseph's going to be in the 4 o'clock hour. We're going to have the Horse Husband's Hour like we have had for the last couple of years. Are you giving away a prize?
2: Oh, absolutely. And what are you giving most, away
0: in the Horse Husband Hour? definitely.
2: We're, we're going to give away just what we've been talking about, their choice of either a mini-tine or a standard-tine carbon fiber
0: flexing Ooh, forth. the fancy one. All that right. One. Carbon fly carbon fiber and fork. I can't say that. Um, so that's what we're giving away at Radiothon, so stay tuned. And we'll be talking a lot more about how to win and to enter. And if you want to find out how to enter, go to HolidayRadioThon.com right now. And of course, you can find all the past episodes of the Horse Husband episode on horsesinthemorning.com. Scroll down to the middle of the page; you'll see all of the little banners there for the monthly episodes, and Horse Husbands is listed. Click on it, and brings up all the past episodes. To buy a Flex and Fork or a Shaken Fork, you go to
2: e q u i t e e m f g dot com. Equity. MFG.com.
0: And don't forget, tomorrow is really bad ads day. Get your ads into Jennifer at network.com You're playing this month for a box of crap from my closet. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's the most coveted prize we do. People have it on their bucket list to win the box of crap because it's not all crap. I mean, there's some good stuff in there. It's just stuff that I've been sent that I don't want. So, uh, definitely, uh, you want to get your entries into Jennifer at network.com That's it can for I enter this that month. One? <laughs> you can enter that one. You just send okay. me some really bad Craigslist ads from up your way. That shouldn't be hard to do. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're pretty rednecky up there too. <laughs> so. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody.
2: And don't forget spay, neuter, and geld your horse.